Hello, and welcome back to the New River Church Podcast. Today we're going to be starting a new series on the book of Luke called Jesus, the Inviting Messiah. We look forward to getting to know the gospel better together with you, and we hope that today's message encourages you and blesses you. For more information, check out newriverchurch.org. This morning, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 will be there in a moment. The last time I had the privilege of teaching here, uh, I asked you to please pray for Karis and me because our youngest daughter was getting married. And well, she got married. So thank you for your prayers. It was a very emotional day, a lot of tears on my part, and it's a very special day. Um, but uh, we're grateful for your prayer and grateful for those of you that actually made the trip down to Atlanta to be a part of that day. It was really very special that you could be there as well. And then um, I think, though, as I look at the day, I think I botched the father-daughter dance. Uh, Yeah, we had like this idea that we were working with, and it's just, have you ever had an idea? And then it doesn't go like, how you picture it in your head going. Well, it didn't go at all the way that I pictured it in my head. And so it was a little botched. But that makes sense because dancing and I have an awkward relationship. So it's okay. That's par for the course in Doug's life. Um, Growing up, I was uh, told that dancing is bad. I don't know if you grew up in that kind of house, but dancing was a sin when I was a kid. And apparently God's changed his mind because I don't know anybody that thinks that dancing is a sin now. But back then, all that gyrating and stuff, you weren't supposed to do it. It was a sin. And then now, raising our kids, you know, growing up in our home, our kids told me that I was a bad dancer. So that's like a double whammy, right? Uh, Dancing is bad and I'm bad at it. Therefore, dancing and I have a really strained relationship. But I like to dance. That's the funny thing is dancing is sort of, especially at a wedding, I don't go to dances, but you know, come on, you break out the Macarena, a little Cotton Eye Joe, a little, you know, all that, that's, it's, it's a good time. And I find that whenever I dance, I go through this, see these, oh, rats, I go through these, um, these stages. The first stage is the awkward stage where I, I start to dance and I feel like everybody's staring at me. And I think, oh, I better be doing it right. Okay, forward, backward, left, right. I don't know, what is it? And, uh, and I think I can hear my kids staring at me, thinking, oh, dad, you're so embarrassing, right? I think that kind of thing. I mean, I'm some, all those thoughts going through my mind. And then I reach a certain point where I just don't care, put my hands up in the air, whoop, 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 and I start to have a good time dancing. I think that the Christian life is a lot like dancing. The more worried I am about doing the steps right, the less likely it is I'm actually doing it. It's possible to be so wrapped up in praying the right way, tithing the right way, doing Sunday the right way, 
right, reading my Bible the right way, it's so possible to be wrapped up in all of that that I actually miss Jesus. I'm so focused on the dance steps, I miss my dance partner. Have you noticed that? And I have good news for some of you this morning because I believe that God wants to set some of us free because some of us have been trying really hard to encounter Jesus. And you're kind of jealous because you look around you, well, they look like they're really having a great time with Jesus. And boy, they look like they have a really special relationship. And I don't have one. And I'm trying, I'm trying to be a good Christian over here. And it's just not working for you. I have good news for you today. Your dance partner says, just keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about the steps. Look at me. Jesus makes it really simple for us. He says, follow me. Aren't you glad that he makes it that simple? Follow me is actually two invitations in one. The first invitation is to relationship. Follow me, he says. Me, come discover how amazing, how breathtaking, how wonderful this person Jesus Christ is. Leave the confines of thinking of Jesus as this religious icon, this, you know, velvet painting in a dark Sunday school room somewhere of Jesus with the big heart. And, you know, that like, leave that. Discover how amazing he is. Like the disciples in the gospels who came to Jesus. Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. All right. And they went. Why? Because he was there. Wherever Jesus was, that's where they wanted to go. I've joked before that if heaven was a trailer park, I'd still want to go there if Jesus was there. Because he's the prize. It's not the gold streets and the pearly gates. Jesus is what makes heaven so amazing. So Jesus begins by saying, follow me. It's an invitation to relationship, but it's also a command Follow, imitate, do what I do, believe how I believe, Jesus would say. Value what I value, think how I think, talk how I talk, walk how I walk. Follow me. But I have to be honest, I look at my own life and I can see that there are values, beliefs, thoughts, feelings, words, actions that I have that do not line up with his and every day of my life, I'm confronted by my need to change. I have a lot of things that need to be changed if I'm genuinely going to follow him, see? But the key first is follow me. Keep my eyes on my dance partner, and he will lead me the right way, right? And this is what we're looking at in Luke chapter six this morning. In Luke chapter six, we're gonna see a group of people who had Jesus, had God in the flesh right there, picking grain out of their cornfield, God in the flesh right there in their synagogue, and they missed him totally because they were so busy focused on the dance steps that they missed the partner. So let's look at it. Luke chapter six, I'll start with verse one. It says, one Sabbath, 
Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all. Awkward pause. Looked around at them all. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. How mad were they? They, they were what? They were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay, am I missing something? Because I'm thinking if that happened at New River Church this morning, like some dude has a hand shriveled, comes in whoosh, like that, right here in front of everybody. You and I would chalk that up to one of the best church services we've had in a long time, would you not? And yet these guys are furious. The Greek word there is anoia, which sounds like annoyed, but it doesn't mean annoyed. Anoia is a compound word in the Greek, ah, meaning out of, and noia, the mind. So literally out of their minds with anger, you and I might say they were beside themselves with fury, with anger, with rage. How dare he, indignation. That's how they're feeling, right? You think, but why? Why are they so angry? What is this? What's happening? I think we need to understand two words and then that'll help bring the whole thing together. The first is, the, first is the Pharisees and the second is the Sabbath. Let's talk about the Pharisees real quick. The Pharisees, they were a resistance group. They were a group that did not hold any legal authority, but they did hold a lot of moral authority. People respected the Pharisees highly. And they were, the name Pharisee literally means separatist. That's what the word means. They were separatists because at this point, the Jews were under Roman rule. And they had been under foreign occupation for hundreds of years before you come to Christ. 
And with that came all of the immorality of those cultures. And the current one in Jesus' day was the Roman, the Roman way with the Greek culture and all of the gross immorality that went along with that. And so these Pharisees saw themselves as the guardians of Jewish purity, the, the, the guardians of the Jewish way of life, the Jewish laws, the Jewish rituals. And they were standing against the tide of all of that stuff coming into the Jewish world. And one of the things that they did was they, they practiced something called fencing. Fencing is where you take the law, you take something that the Bible says, and then you create fences around it to make sure to protect yourself from breaking that law. So for example, let's say you have uh, the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. They would create a fence around that saying this, that it would be a sin for a married man to talk to any woman if his wife is not present. And see, the thinking is, if a married man doesn't talk to any other woman other than his wife, unless his wife is present, well, that'll protect him from committing adultery. So you don't break this, you won't break that. And that's called fencing. And they did that to all of the laws. Now, can you imagine over time, over hundreds of years, how that could become abusive, how that could become burdensome? Like we're gonna create this law to protect us from that one, and then this one to protect us from that one, and this one to keep us from that one. And next thing you know, it is, whew. and that's what happened with the Sabbath. By the time the Sabbath, let's talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath has its has its roots all the way back in the, in the creation account. In Genesis chapters one, two, and three. Quick Bible quiz. How many days did it take God to create the world? Six days. Good job, Bible students. And then what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And when the Bible says that God rested, that doesn't mean that God was whooped after a long week of creating and he had to kick back in his lazy boy chair, it means that God was content with the work that he had done. Remember what he said after each day he created? God would survey the day and say it was good. And then on the sixth day, he creates Adam and man, he says it is very good. And then on the seventh day, God looks at the whole thing. See, he's resting saying that was, that's good. Now, that doesn't mean that God is done. God is still creating to this day, is he not? There are things forming in our world, our universe, all the time. He's, it's just that at that moment, God stopped, looks back, he's content. Look at what I've made, it is good. Now, move the timeline up a bunch of years and you come into the Exodus and you have the Israelites who had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And remember how many plagues, and God raises up Moses and sets them free. How many plagues did God bring on the Egyptians in order to set the Israelites free? There you go, here's the hint. 10, Bible scholars. So 10 plagues against Egypt in order to set the people free. Once they're free, God gives the people of Israel 10 commands to keep them free. 10 plagues to get them free, 10 commands to keep them free. The fifth command, the fifth plague in Egypt 
was the plague on livestock, which would have brought all work to a grinding halt. The fifth command was to honor the Sabbath, to keep it as a day of rest. Take a day, don't work, right? The Sabbath, God's inviting the people to follow his rhythm. Hey, I work six days, rest. Look back, be content with what's happened. Now, can you imagine how refreshing this must have been to the Jewish people when they first received it? Remember, they had been slaves for as many generations as they could remember, 400 years. Slaves don't get days off. If slaves take a break, they get a beating. Slaves are commodities. You work them, work them, work them, work them. They're treated like machines. And when they die, you get another one. You fill a spot, build another pyramid, another one. And then God delivers his people. And what's one of the first things God says to a free people? Hey, let's take a break. How about we take one day out of the week and let's just rest? Isn't that sweet? Can you imagine what that must have felt like to these Jewish people who had known nothing but work? And now they're in a, a relationship with God. He set them free and God invites them to rest with him. It's beautiful. That's how the Sabbath began. The Sabbath is literally like wasting time with God. It's as though God is saying, hey, you are worth more than the work that you do. It, it, it's like slavery dehumanizes people, turns them into machines. The Sabbath rehumanizes people. It, it's a reminder that, you know what? I am not a machine, that I am actually worth more than the work that I produce. I can take a day and I can rest and I can let others rest. And I, if I don't get anything done, that's okay because I did it with God. It's beautiful. But over the centuries, traditions and rules had developed. Remember the Pharisees? Traditions and rules had developed around the Sabbath that actually ruined it. By the time we come to the, G, the life of Jesus, the Mishnah had been developed. And the Mishnah was a commentary, a Jewish commentary on, all the, on the Torah. And you got all these old rabbis writing different things, saying different things and so forth. By the time you get to the life of Jesus, in the Mishnah, there are 39 different types of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath. You are not to do any Carrying, burning, extinguishing, writing, cooking, washing, untying, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, etc. I ran out of breath. 39 things you're not allowed to do. And by the time you come to the writing of the, the, um, uh, of the Talmud, which took place, which happened about 200 years after the time of Christ, by the time you get to that, the Talmud contains 24 chapters of prohibitions on the Sabbath. One rabbi claims to have spent two and a half years studying one chapter, just one of the chapters 
on the prohibitions that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Now think about this. God says in the fifth commandment, simply, hey, honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Take a break. And these people turned it into 24 chapters on how to do it, how not to do it. Here's a couple of my favorites taken from the Talmud. You ready? I just cherry-picked three of them. You're not allowed to carry anything heavier than a dried fig. But if you carry a half a twig, you can do it twice. That's in the Talmud. Here's another law. You could not walk any further than 3,000 feet from your home. It was actually, it actually became a unit of measurement. We actually see it in the Bible. It's called a Sabbath day's journey. So a Sabbath day's journey is 3,000 feet. So how far away is the McDonald's? Oh, it's about a Sabbath day's journey. It means 3,000 feet, about two-thirds of a mile. And you're not allowed to journey any more than 3,000 feet from your home on the Sabbath. However, the law said, or the Mishnah says, the Talmud rather, says, if you put food at the 3,000 foot mark, then you can walk that 3,000 feet, eat your food, and walk another 3,000 feet because where you keep your food is where your home is. So you're walking just from your home. Here's my, here's, I think this one's funny. This is my favorite one. It's funny. You're not allowed to tie a rope to a bucket to get water. But on the Sabbath, a man is permitted to tie his wife's girdle for her. You see where this is going? So if you tie the girdle to the rope and tie the bucket to the girdle, you can get your water. Now we, we think these are just like silly, are they not? We think, wow, how goofy can you be? Yet, could we just look in the mirror for a little bit? I mean, I don't want to call out anything specific, but I'm thinking we probably have some traditions that we hold to that aren't really biblical or really the heart of God, but they've become super important to us think. And I wonder how often those things actually are what keep people from coming to Christ. Just something to think about. We laugh at these rules. The problem with them is this. By the time you come to the life of Jesus, the Sabbath had become the most dreaded day of the week. It wasn't restful anymore. It was work. These guys had, the Sabbath was meant to be a gift for slaves made free, but they turned it into a curse that made free people slaves to the Sabbath. They turned the Sabbath into a second job. It wasn't restful anymore. And this brings us to Luke chapter six. You have two different Sabbaths taking place here in Luke six that we read about. On the first Sabbath, Jesus gets in trouble because he's in a grain field and his disciples are hungry and he allows them to pick heads of grain. And they, you know, they, they thresh it by rubbing it in their hands. And so that's threshing grain. So, hey, you're breaking the law. Not allowed to do that. They pounced on Jesus for it, to which Jesus claimed, 
I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. We're going to explain that in a second. The second time that Jesus breaks the Sabbath, he's in a synagogue and he heals a man's hand and they're furious. Why would they do that? Well, because the law said that if it was a life-threatening illness, you could do something about it. His shriveled hand's not life-threatening. That can wait till tomorrow. Jesus had the audacity to heal it then and there in the middle of their church service. And that's what got him into trouble. So what do we learn from this? Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Did you catch that? In verse five, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's making two claims there. The first claim that Jesus is making is he's claiming to be the same one who created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Jesus is saying, I'm the one who created the Sabbath. I spoke the world into being and I became flesh. I'm Lord of it all. As the creator of the Sabbath, Jesus is obviously able to define how it should be, op- how it should be observed, wouldn't you think? It's the first thing that means. The second thing, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The second thing that means is this. He's claiming to be the very embodiment of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. Come to him and find rest for your soul. In the message paraphrase, the Eugene Peterson who wrote that, he writes Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 this way, and I think it's just brilliant. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me and you'll recover your life. I like that. Come to me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I like that. The unforced rhythms of grace. There's a rhythm. Are there things that we have to do? Yes. Are there commands to obey? 100% there are. But Jesus wants us to put the priority on him first. Remember, focus on your dance partner. Follow his moves, and he'll lead you the right direction. It doesn't mean that there's no effort in the Christian life. It just means there's no earning in the Christian life. I don't have to earn it. I bow my knee to him. I watch him. I follow him, right? and he teaches me the unforced rhythms of grace. St. Augustine said this, he's one of the early church fathers. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have a restless heart this morning, your heart restless. Jesus invites you to come and rest in him. Today's your day to discover that Jesus is everything that you've been looking for. As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus defines it two different ways. He defines it as being a day to enjoy, and it's a day to meet the needs of people. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, uh, 
You know, you have the synoptic gospels, they're called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very similar in, you know, they, they all three talk about the life of Jesus. And so we have this exact scenario from Luke 6. We find it in Mark chapter 2. And in Mark 2, there's just a little detail that Mark gives that's not in Luke. And in Mark 2, 27, Jesus says, before he says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift. God made it for who? For you. (laughs) He's literally giving you a gift. God is saying, I love you so much that I'm telling you to take a day off every week. I love you that much. And these Pharisees, in order to make certain that they didn't work on the Sabbath, (laughs) had turned it into a second job, added all these rules to do it. Tim Keller, Tim Keller he, he says that these men, their hearts were as shriveled as the man's hand. That, that was a good quote. They had they'd become so wrapped up in doing it all the right way that they, they, lost, they lost the heart of it. The tragedy of their obsession was that, that in their compulsion to obey the rules, they actually did harm to people and they missed God's heart completely, right? So God gives us this day. He gives us this Sabbath. What do we do with it? Well, first thing is enjoy it. I guess what we can do with it, enjoy it. I know a lot of people who like to talk about like what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath. You ever had those discussions I have with some church people? am, Am I allowed to, is it okay if I mow my lawn? Can I mow my lawn? On the Sabbath, I mean, I know it's working. I'm working on my suntan, <laughs> right? But like, or is it okay if I do the laundry? Is it okay if I, you know, do this quick work? Can I go to a restaurant on the Sabbath? I mean, I'm making somebody else work. Uh, you know, there's all these discussions that we have about the Sabbath. But you see, those discussions are actually born out of the same heart that the Pharisees had. And they missed Jesus. So so I would propose to you that the wrong question is, what do I do? The right question is this. God gave you a gift. How will you enjoy it? How will you enjoy it? You honor the gift giver when you enjoy his gift. So you want to go take a walk with Jesus? Take a walk with Jesus. Enjoy the sun. It looks beautiful right now. You know, get yourself a good meal. Get yourself a good meal. Enjoy the Sabbath. It's a gift given to you. But you also need to ask yourself, I think, this question. What's wrong with me that I refuse to rest? Some of us, myself included, this is me pointing the finger at me. um, I'm, I'm like a squirrel on a monster drink, right? I mean, I'm cranked up on caffeine, nervous, jittery, hyper little heart. I got a hard time stopping. Even if it's just for a day, even if it's just for a couple of hours, why, why can't I rest? What am I running from? What am I trying to avoid? Like, what's, what's wrong? It gets quiet and I, I can't take it. I can't have it quiet. Got to put the TV on, have the radio, have something playing. Something's got to be happening. Because if it gets quiet, I get nervous. Maybe part of the reason that God's given us the Sabbath is to actually teach us how to be quiet. 
Maybe that's what I need to learn. Maybe the most spiritual thing, yeah, I like A.W. Tozer said this, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I think there's some truth in that. The second thing that we can use, we can do with the Sabbath, what can we do with it? Second thing is share it with others. The Sabbath is a day that's meant to meet the needs of people. That's pretty clear. You see Jesus meeting the needs of people on the Sabbath, true. They're hungry, hey, have some grain. Oh, your hand shriveled, how about I heal that for you? Jesus is meeting the needs of people on the Sabbath. And so in that sense, he's meeting my needs because I'm a people. But also in that sense, I also wanna have the heart of Jesus in the eyes of Jesus where I see other people on the Sabbath. Like it's a day that I, I see their needs as well. Like it's, I, don't, I dare not be so focused on me that I lose sight of you and others around me. Jesus saw this man with the shriveled hand when nobody else saw him. How is it that we get like that? How do we get so wrapped up in our own little world that we don't even notice the new person standing over there in the lobby that I've never met before? I don't even notice this person standing by themselves. I don't notice the, the look on that person's face. They look kind of sad. You know what I mean? Like, how is it that I get so wrapped up in my own little world that I, I don't notice the people that God's put around me? And so part of the purpose of the Sabbath is to retrain my eyes. Remember, it rehumanizes me. We're not all rats on a treadmill just getting work done. We're actually people <laughs> made in the image of God. <laughs> And the Sabbath is a great day to hit that reset button and to begin to notice other people. You know, our theme this year is making room for one more. And we're all given that, aren't we? You can make room for one more. I make room for one more. It's about noticing that there's a lot of other people that are hungry for Jesus. And I wanna make space for them to do that. I wanna make space for them to find him. Jesus's question in verse nine penetrates my heart. You look at Luke 6, nine, Jesus says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, there's no day of the week where it's okay to do evil. However, if there's one day of the week when we ought to do good, it should be the Sabbath. In a sense, that's what he's saying, right? And so it's that day of the week to, to notice other people, if I'm not noticing them the rest of the week, to at least pay attention to what God's doing in others around me and maybe meet those needs. And then the third thing that I can do with the Sabbath that God gives me is I can share it with God, enjoy him, enjoy him. Isn't it ironic that there he is, the Lord of the Sabbath, standing right there in their grain field, standing right there in the middle of their synagogue, and they didn't notice it. They are so busy, so worried about how Jesus was breaking their, their rules that they didn't see Jesus right there. They missed him. So I come back to my original statement there, you know, I wanna stay focused on the dance partner and not the dance steps. 
The dance steps are important. I'm not at all minimizing that, but the partner is more important. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer, I'd recommend it. It's a great book. He quotes a man named A.J. Swoboda, who says this, it's not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. He's talking about church people, Christians. It's not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. The Sabbath is a day to sit with God, a day to sit still. Maybe take an hour, have a cup of coffee on your back porch or tea or whatever, and just enjoy the sunshine and reflect on God and give thanks for all that he's blessed you with. You know, it's a day to sit with him. You say, oh, I can't do a whole day. Uh, try 15 minutes, you know. That, seriously, just try 15 minutes and then stretch it to 20 until maybe 10 years from now you can do a whole day. <laughs> but for those of us with squirrel-like hearts, you know, we need to begin somewhere, do we not? Learning to sit with God. One of our very first, I mean, one of our four E's as a church is to enjoy Jesus. We believe that deeply. Jesus is someone to enjoy. As, as much as he, he is the Lord of the universe, I'm, we're not minimizing that. He is God in the flesh, not at all undermining that. He is someone, though, that we have fallen in love with. And he is someone whom I can enjoy. So I ask you this morning, like, do you struggle to sit with God? Maybe, maybe there's internal reasons why you struggle to sit with God, you know? Uh, like, the disciples in, like, like the disciples in the cornfield, you're hungry, you want something. Something's missing in your heart and you don't know what it is, but you know the hole is there. You feel restless. And the only way you can avoid that gnawing, restless feeling is to stay busy. Do you know that Jesus actually wants to fix that with you? Just imagine you actually could reach a place in your life where you can have a quiet day and not feel anxious. Hmm. Wouldn't that be nice? Or maybe the issue is external. Maybe um, like the man with a broken hand, you're broken, you're hurting. Your family's in pieces, finances are in pieces, other relationships are in troubled. Maybe you watch the news too much and so you're troubled by all the things that you see and hear around you and you get so worked up over it and spun up. See, so the restlessness is external, coming at you. You know that Jesus says, come to me, find rest, right? Jesus. Jesus says you can experience closeness with him. And some of those things might take a little while to resolve. I'm not saying they just go away poof, but I can tell you that learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep your eyes on the dance partner and he will work you through it, walk you through it, I should say this. Karis, you can come up and play if you want. You know, um, two weeks ago, like I said, we were at our daughter's wedding and uh, I botched the father-daughter dance, as I said earlier. But you know, there's a part of me that really, um, really regrets 
that as I think about it. The reason why I botched it was because we had this, and my daughter and I had talked about it ahead of time, like we had this whole like vision thing we were working with. And uh, we were dancing to that song, The Blessing by Carrie Job, you know? And the song has this crescendo and it gets to the end and, and then you're saying, may his favor be upon you and your children and their children and generation, you know that. And we had this picture in our minds like, okay, when it gets to that point, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna have Pete come and dance with you. And then everybody's gonna just, and your favor be upon you. And this is the picture I have in my mind of how that's gonna go. We're all just gonna, wow, it's gonna be this great moment. Everybody's crying because we're just pouring out the blessing of God, you know, on Carissa and Pete. Like that's, that's the picture in my head. And it bombed totally. Didn't go that way at all, all right? And I'm thinking, you know, what I regret most about that is, is, I had my baby girl in my arms one last time and I missed it because I was too busy thinking about how this is gonna go and the plants. And if I had it to do over again, I'd say, forget Pete, I'm gonna spend <laughs> the last few minutes with my baby girl. Right? So the last chance I had to look her in the eye, to hold her in my arms, and to talk with her and just be her dad, right? And I missed it. But I think that happens with a lot of us in our relationship with Jesus. That's what happened with these guys. They were so preoccupied with how to do the Sabbath that they missed the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and you, maybe it's not the Sabbath, but you could be so preoccupied with doing all the right things, with praying in the right way and tithing the right way and reading the Bible the right way and all that sort of thing and miss the one who came to set you free. And I just sense like Jesus is saying, hey, I want to dance with you. I want, to, I want us to have a moment, you know? Just you and me. And that's the invitation of the Sabbath. Come rest with me. Let's share this day. Don't miss me. So how about it? That's the invitation to you, my friend. The Lord of the universe is inviting you to rest with him. Will you accept it? You say, I don't know if I can do a whole day. All right, like I said, try a half hour. That's what I love about Jesus. He's not beating you up. Try a half hour. Learn from him the unforced rhythms of grace. Thanks for joining us again this week. We hope that this message truly blessed you. For more information, check us out at newriverchurch.org.